Man, the Warriors have a third quarter barrage in game two, and the Utah Jazz find themselves on an unexpected offseason coaching search, and Draymond Green flirts with getting ejected from Kevin Durant's burner account. I'm Rosa Panza. This is the Clinic All NBA podcast. I have the three hooligans with me. JJ, how you living, my friend? Feeling good. Feeling great. How are you? Man, I'm feeling good. John, how you living, my friend? I'm feeling good, man. Warriors, one game two. I'm feeling great. <laughs> Absolutely. Sammy, how you feeling? I'm just happy you guys are happy, my man. <laughs> and you know what? Let's get to this game two. The Golden State Warriors take down the Boston Celtics 107 to 88. It was a game where it was only a two-point difference at halftime. And in the third quarter, the Warriors just seemed to run away. I wanted to ask you guys in that third quarter, how much of this was Boston getting in their own way or sort of self-inflicted wounds? And how much of this was the Warriors game plan? Great I'm question. <laughs> Anybody? Bueller? Kick it off, John. Well, wow, that's a great question. I, I would say it's a little bit of both. I do think that Celtics played, their defense that they played in game two wasn't the, the consistent defense that they played in game one, um, particularly at the end of the game. But in the third quarter, you saw just the Warriors barrage that we're accustomed to seeing, where they go on these crazy scoring runs. And that's kind of what the Celtics did in game one. So it's a back and forth heavyweight battle. And it's, it's super entertaining. I know game two wasn't close, but the Warriors did a good job of letting Tatum and Brown score their points. Tatum played much better, but they contained everybody else. Al Horford wasn't Ray Allen in game two. He yeah. played pretty poorly. I mean, guys like Pritchard and Derek, Derek White still played okay, or but he didn't, never, he didn't play the, the type of game he played in game one. So I think... This is the strategy that the Warriors need to continue to implement. And JJ mentioned it in game or in the last podcast is that the Warriors should let their stars get theirs, but they can't let everybody else go off. And that's what they did in game two. So it's 1-1 and going to Boston. So hopefully the, uh, you know, we get some good games and hopefully the Warriors win from the resident Laker fan. (laughs) (laughs) If you look at the third quarter of this game, like you were saying, we're used to the Warriors. I believe statistically they're the best third quarter team in the league, and they have been the last few years. So you look at how this quarter starts. Jalen Brown ties it about a minute in with a jumper. Both teams came out and actually misfired a little bit. And then from there, it was Steph with the layup, a lot of missed shots, more so on the Celtics side. And then it was just more of an onslaught from the Warriors, not necessarily in precision, but in persistence. And so what I noticed when I saw this is, again, what you guys mentioned. If you look at the stat breakdown for this game, the role players just fell apart for Boston. Yeah. Only three guys scored double figures in this game. Tatum and Brown. Brown had a great first quarter. He had nine, I think, in the first three minutes. He had eight for the rest of the game. And then Marcus Smart had two points for the game. Horford, I don't think, even took a shot until the third quarter, if I remember seeing it correctly. True. No one else did anything after that. And so clearly the formula for game two worked very well, like you guys mentioned. But if you look at the biggest stat, I noticed that that really blew me away. Both teams actually shot the exact same from deep. Remember, we were talking about the disparity last game. Both teams in this game were 15 to 37 from deep. 
Up until the game was out of hand, there was one point where the Celtics were shooting 26% from two, which is unheard of. They finished about 35 from that area, but most of it was when the game wasn't decided. I mean, that's where clearly the disparity was in this game. So I don't know if it was a combination of defensive adjustments. Obviously, Gary Payton was back for this game when it helped out a lot. Or if it was just a total off night or most likely a mix of both. But it was just, I've never seen a disparity like that between two and three. So that was the main takeaway I took from this thing. Yeah, and you know, and looking at the stats, I feel like the, the Warriors were shooting a lot more threes. And I think maybe they were because in that... Um, when they rolled out basically their bench unit with only like nine minutes left in the fourth quarter, it was Neesmith, Hauser, Stauskas, and Fitz who combined for seven three-pointers um, attempted. So I don't know, that that number could be a lot. It could be more of a disparity than we think. But JJ, I wanted to ask you. So Andre Ugudala, he's out with a knee inflammation. You saw Gary Payton inserted also Nemenya Bielitsa. What did you think? Was this sort of like we had some issues with Andre Iguodala? Um, was this sort of addition by subtraction, or do you think Andre Iguodala will will eventually see him again? What do you think? No, I think um, I guess it was addition by subtraction, but it's good to have Iggy just because of his experience. And I just thought the rotation and the lineup where Iggy was placed in the first game didn't mesh well against the Celtic defense. So here's my segue to what I thought was game-changing. It was Coach Kerr. This is why Coach Kerr is a top 15 coach with his adjustments. Well, right. the obvious is not only GP2 played, but Draymond guarded both of the playmakers that, were, that had their way in the paint, which was uh, Brown and Tatum. And then you had GP2 pick up Tatum as well. So that alleviated some stress off Wiggins who could play both sides on the court. On top of that, Kerr wasn't really stubborn in terms of asking his players to pass the ball, pass, 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 pin down screens and so forth. He did old school style pick and roll with Curry. Yeah. Which, you know, we saw with the series that the maps with Luca did against the Warriors, that Ja did against the Warriors, and what, you know, Jokic kind of did with his wings, pick and roll, and Steph had his way. And it's pretty awesome to see that Curry is now fin finally getting the recognition that I think he deserves as one of the top 15 players of all time, maybe even 10 after it's all said and done. Yeah, that's that's well said. And you know that um, that Draymond Steph Curry pick and roll, that's actually one of the main things um, that was occurring last year when they were trying to make a run for the play in where they ended up ending the year with a 15 and three record. So it's nice to see that back. I wanted to talk about Draymond Green a little bit here. He gets a double tech. Oh, sorry. He um, he gets his first technical in the double tech. I think he was a little dust up with uh, Grant Williams or something like that. I forget. But the one that the people are talking about where Draymond might have deserved a second technical foul is where he went out for a block on Jalen Green. He ended up sort of like falling on Jalen Green or sorry, Jalen Brown a little bit and having his legs like right on top of his head. 
What do you guys think of the refs not calling a technical foul here? Do you think he should have been kicked out of this game? What's your thoughts? This is Draymond understanding the circumstance and understanding that we're in the finals and that there's no way he's going to get thrown out on a play like that. People were complaining about that after because I believe it was, was it Steve Javi that acknowledged it during the game? Yeah. That certain players have a little more leverage. But that's a situational thing. Like if if he gets kicked out for that, we never hear the end of it. That's that's the story. And I I think you you can't take away from the finals on a debate over a play like that. So I think that's Draymond being very intelligent, frankly, understanding the situation and just trying to get into Jalen Brown's head. That's how I read it. No, yeah. absolutely not. Shouldn't be a technical. <laughs> That's a joke. Absolute joke. Play that sensitive sound bite again. There you go. Sensitive. I would be super pissed if they actually gave him a second technical. But if he even got kicked out, we would we wouldn't be uh, blessed with that one play. Have you guys seen it where he clears out space for Steph by? moving three Celtics out of the way. Yeah, I saw yeah. that. It was actually in the 49ers playbook back in, uh, in the regular season. There. <laughs> the three moving screens on one possession is gold. I love it. I mean, hey, if you can get away with it, get away with it. It's the ref's fault. But anyway, yeah, I mean, no, absolutely not. No technical. That's a joke. And, you know, everyone's complaining to NBA so soft. Now you're going to ask for this dude to get ejected. Which which one is it? You want the league to be no holds bar, Bill Lambier, or you want to throw somebody off because of a mix-up? Come on, don't be weak, right? Yeah. Call it a hunch that the Celtic Pride podcast probably feels very different than this one about that play. Oh, yeah. definitely. They throw definitely feel there. different about that one. Yeah. Um, Draymond Green, I just want to talk about him a little bit. It seems like he got into the Celtics' head a little bit. Like literally chippy with everyone i think also it kind of sparked a little physicality from the warriors side because i saw clips of like andrew wiggins getting Mm -hmm. really physical like before like the ball gets passed in like just knocking hands away getting into people's bodies and i think this is a great thing to see from the Warriors side because that game one it seemed like the boston celtics sort of out physical um their play but yeah i want to talk about jordan pool here we had a lot of tough things to say about jordan pool in game one do you guys want to talk about his impact for game two well he did not do well first and second quarter we gotta just say that and be honest with ourselves mm-hmm. true it's fair right to say if we if we praise someone we should also provide criticism oh he was bad he was outright bad in the first half of this game and it just seemed like everyone was missing at the rim, too. So I was honestly worried about the Warriors for a little bit because I was like, they've got all these open layups. Um, yeah. And the thing about pool, too, is is I, I mentioned it in, in the last episode, though, is that he needs to score in bunches and make timely shots. And when he does that, it neutralizes or it, it negates his his weaknesses on the court, which is his defense and sometimes his decision-making. And he did that in game two, particularly at the end of the third quarter when he made that almost near half-court shot. Before that, he made another three in uh-huh. Pritchard's face. And so those are timely momentum, big-time shots. They were up big, but 
that pushed them into the territory where the Celtics aren't even thinking about a comeback. I mean, they benched their entire starting lineup for the most of the fourth quarter. I think all of it, actually. So, yeah. Poole, if he continues to do that and provides that spark, that's going to be absolutely huge for the Warriors. Were you right, guys and, little... go, oh, ahead, go ahead. No, 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 no go ahead. Say, so, at end of the third, they actually... Kerr kept him on the bench for a while in the third. He didn't come back in until there was about a minute 20 left. Yep. And it seemed like there was a concerted effort to, to get him some confidence. The first three plays, when he comes back in the game, uh, he sets up Looney for a layup. He gets that three ball that John is talking about, and then he hit that long three to end the quarter. And right. you could see at the end of the third, when he hit that almost half quarter, just like the, the spark was there. And there's that clip of him walking off the court. Steph is right behind him, big smile on his face. Like you could tell that yeah. they were trying to make the effort to, to boost his confidence a little bit. So I think that's also really smart coaching in that situation. You're up by almost 20 points. Like try to get one of these guys that you need to win the series going. And it worked perfectly. Yeah. I wanted to add to that, uh, Sammy, that, you know, you mentioned smart coaching. Coach Kerr didn't even want to bother with Poole and Clay in the middle of the third. And he went with an all defensive unit uh-huh. with Otto Porter. He had GP2, Wiggins, Stefan Draymond. Going against the Celtics, the usual MO for the other how many teams in the NBA, 28 teams is you need to counter it with more offense because we're not able to score. But you know what Steve Kerr said? Nah, you guys are shooting really bad shots. Let's just go all defense and see if you could stop our two-time MVP and Steph. Pick and roll style, hardcore. Yep. Yeah. Hey Jay, you mentioned uh, Clay and I feel like we would do this episode a disservice if we did not talk about Clay Thompson because there is, that's the elephant in the room. And I would love to hear your guys' input on not only how he's performing, which is less than expected and pretty subpar if if we're being honest. Mm -hmm. But I guess my question to you guys is, are you concerned? And what do you think, if anything, Steve Kerr should do with Clay Thompson moving forward? That's different. It's not a tumor. Than what they've than what they have been doing. JJ, I'll let you take this one, man. What you think? Okay, so we're playing uh, arguably the best defense in the league, and Clay is forcing shots. He's not scoring up to the basket. Number one, number two, he's people have people are forgetting that he hasn't played in over how many days like it was 940 to be exact it's been more than a thousand since um he's had playoff experience or something like i forgot the exact number i think i'm just talking out of my behind but (laughs) he's not gonna have all these games where he could just go off so they really need to one set up some offense where he could get open looks but it's also on clay he's forcing a lot of the shots do you guys see that as well? 100%. And I, you know, on the subject of smart coaching, just going back to this one more time, they were up by 25. You notice that Kerr left Clay out there trying yep. to get him shots, trying to build up his confidence. Absolutely. And Clay missed a couple, including there was a bunny that he missed right at the rim. And you could see his reaction after he missed it. I think he slammed to his hands on the floor or something. He's clearly pressing. So I really wouldn't be surprised if early in game three, they try to set him up for some really nice, easy, open mid-range looks. 
to try and get him going early because uh, it's understandable. His confidence is a little bit low right now. It just looks like it based on his reactions, his mannerisms out there on the court. Yeah, absolutely. So for some context, he went four for 19 from the floor, which is only 21.1%. And this is the thing about Clay Thompson, though. I don't think his minutes are in danger at all because even if he was zero for 19, the Boston Celtics still need to respect him. He's still yes. going to provide mm -hmm. space on the floor. You don't want that man to get hot. And the, and the way to keep him cold is to still play up on him. And Klay Thompson is just going to find have to find some way to knock these down. I mean, that's just bit, that's it. Yeah, right? that's a great point. That's a great point. I, I just think he needs to be more selective. Right. I, there's nothing wrong with taking 19 shots, but I would be... I'm confident that a majority of those shots were bad shots, whether they were contested or they were rushed. And so he just needs to be... He needs to be himself, like he said, after game one, but he also needs to be smart about it. Yeah, and that's that's commending um, the Boston Celtics, too, in their defense. But you know what? We're actually going to take a short little break here with a word from our sponsor. Hold up. Are you ready for the NBA champs to be crowned? Join the finals action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA bet and get $150 in free bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make any $5 bet during the NBA Finals and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Well, boys, we're going to take this away from the NBA Finals here. We're going to talk about Quinn Snyder. He has resigned as Utah Jazz's head coach. And now the Utah Jazz kind of find themselves during the offseason looking for a new head coach. And Snyder, he had a 372 to 264 record in his eight seasons with the Jazz. Um, and Snyder had the second most wins in Jazz history. What do you guys think of this news? This is absolutely surprising to me. What, what do the Utah Jazz do? Can I just say one thing before? Uh, I want to throw it to you guys, but am I, am I the only one that thinks this is all Rudy Gobert's fault? No. Explain yourself a little more. He's a big part of it, but continue. <laughs> that's it. That's all I wanted to say. That my, was the my, Rudy, my, Rudy, my Rudy Gobert slander is, is all, I, uh, all, all I have to contribute. As much as the mic toucher probably affected Quinn Snyder's decision-making here, um, I think this clearly, the way this happened, not just the fact that he's gone, but the way he left, I think really speaks to the fact that there is some serious trouble under the surface. And, you know, teams try to cover this stuff up all the time. But if this was something where they wanted him to go and it was mutual, he would have left right after they got knocked out in the first round. But it was out there that they wanted him back and that they were negotiating with him. An article actually came out yesterday that the CEO, or uh, I shouldn't say the CEO, Danny Ainge, desperately wanted him back. And he was just ready to go. So that tells me there's some serious discord. It makes me wonder if he was asking if certain players would be gone for him to come Interesting. back. Interesting. 
that's my that's my thought. I think if if they were negotiating for this long and he chose to walk and it wasn't because of the contract because he had two more years, then it's a personnel issue. And we know this team has constructed at best as a second round team. Now there's reports out that Donovan Mitchell doesn't know what to think. And that's that leaves this team maybe in more flux than any other team in the league. Is That's how I read it, at least. So I'm curious to see the tie between the two and wonder what you guys think in terms of what this means for what they look to do next year, specifically in regards to their two stars. So what's the personal issue, you think? Is it because they want to keep Donovan Mitchell or they want to get rid of him? Or what do you think it is? I think that ownership there doesn't want to tear down and com- and they want to compete and for them maybe competing means trying to keep both of those guys and okay. maybe he wanted to trade one or both but unless he gives a full-blown interview about it i'm i'm thinking we'll never fully know unless you know sources come out after the fact but i i think he definitely wanted one of the two if not both to be traded i mean if i was quentin snyder that's what i would want too right like the way that their seasons have been going you have to break up that tandem of donovan mitchell and and rudy gobert um especially i mean that crazy stat of like how many assists that donovan mitchell like has thrown to rudy passes Passes. has thrown to rudy gobert like that well how many passes was it do you you guys remember three and a half a game or something like that on average it was something nuts so absurd yeah so absurd Yeah, so the, I was, um, I'm perusing on uh, online right now, and uh, there's a quote. This is the Quinn Snyder co- quote. I strongly feel they need a new voice to continue to evolve. That's it. No philosophical differences, no other reason. After eight years, I just feel it is time to move onward. I needed to take time to detach after the season and make sure this was the right decision. So the more and more I think about it, I, I think we just have this natural inclination to try to find a conspiracy theory or to figure out what kind of drama led to this decision. But honestly, the more I think about it, I think this could be it. I think Quinn Snyder just sees a ceiling with this team, and rightfully so. I mean, they've underperformed, and they've not met expectations from people thinking that this is going to be the year. I mean, a lot of it goes with their personnel, goes with their team and the players, but maybe just Quinn Snyder sees a ceiling, and he doesn't think that they're going to be able to eclipse that and win a championship. Do you guys think that's just that's a possibility? How the turntables. I could see that. I mean, they're very limited in what they can do. They don't have their first round pick this year. They traded it for Mike Conley. They don't have their first round pick in 24. They traded it to dump Derek Favors. There's not a lot of avenues for this team to improve unless they do something major. And the West is going to be absolutely stacked next year by all accounts if everyone is healthy. So that very well could be true too. It's just crazy that the Utah Jazz have been up in the rankings, arguably top three or four seeded team the past yeah. few years. But when it counts, the postseason, they don't perform. So now that's where we point fingers. Is it Gobert? Is it Mitchell? Is it coaching? Yeah, I mean, that's they've the question, been, right? I mean, I mean, Jay, they've been three, four seed for multiple years, but if, like, who here on this panel was ever confident in the Utah Jazz 
Not me. No. No one. That's ever, the right? thing, right? That's a, that's a, see that's the yeah. issue. That's the issue, definitely. Well, I'm I'm wondering if the Sacramento Kings are kind of kicking themselves right now. They're like, we could have had Quinn Snyder, <laughs> <laughs> Mike Brown, baby. He, he was gonna be available instead of Mike Brown. Anyway, no, I'm gonna take no. us to our next topic here. Um, Kevin Durant and Draymond Green sort of had like this Twitter spat recently, where Draymond Green was on his podcast and he had some some things to say about Steph Curry needing a finals MVP to be validated. He said Steph Curry got double teamed seven times the amount KD did, the impact he has on the game. If you don't understand basketball, you're going to say he needs a finals MVP to be validated. Um, And then KD tweeted, from my view, this is 100% false. Draymond then replies, you have to learn to listen to the full takes and not snippets before you get baited into tweeting, champ. KD then says, oh, I see it, my brethren. I appreciate the compliments, but I disagree with what you said about double teams. That's all. I love the show. With, do you guys have any issues <laughs> with what Draymond Green said in his podcast? What, any issues with Draymond? No. With what Draymond said. Yeah. No, it's his own podcast, number one. Number two, he's backing up Stephen Curry, his boy. And number three, the most important fact, Draymond Green is spitting truth. He is spitting gospel. If you watch yeah. the finals, <laughs> if you ask Ty Lu, what Draymond Green said is absolutely true. Yeah, no, I don't have a problem with that for all the reasons that JJ so eloquently stated. But if anybody thinks that he's not intentionally throwing shade at Durant every time he mentions <laughs> something like that, you, you've lost your mind. He's 100%, he 100% knows what he's doing. But I, that's, why, that's what makes okay. it so much fun. That's what makes it so much funnier to me. So yeah, I think it's great. I mean, KD is just, you know, he's just sitting behind his laptop or computer, like clicking on the mouse, ready to respond. <laughs> To any tweet that comes in or any uh, any piece of news, it's funny, man. It's just funny stuff to me. Well, yeah, right. And, and see, right. we know that these replies are the ones from his account. What kind of replies did he send from potential other accounts? <laughs> Curious. That's, that's, throw yes. that out there. <laughs> otherwise, I'm, otherwise, I'm honestly fine with. I'm honestly fine with both sides. I think what Draymond said is true, and any player on KD's level is going to think he's the best player in the league, and they're yeah. going to come out and just defend whatever it is they think like we know kd we know how he's gonna react yeah. but the fact that he at least took it in stride and didn't get frankly as sensitive as he normally does and yeah finish it the way he did i i don't mind it and Ke- kevin durant like if you're if you're listening to us right now and i know you usually download our podcast and subscribe to everything <laughs> is if, if you're listening just reflect on how many times you dribbled the ball up during a fast break and you just had like an open dunk for no reason. And if you actually look at the tape, it's because two people were following Steph into the corner as the lanes parted. That's that's exactly why. And that's this is what Draymond's talking about. He's not talking about Steph Curry just getting doubled when he's dribbling around the ball. He's talking about the two people, three people paying attention to him when he's moving without the ball. And so, I don't know. I don't have any issues with what Draymond said. And obviously, KD, he got goaded. 
he, he got goaded into tweeting about this and it's absolutely hilarious but anyway that's actually all we have for tonight's show boys i want to thank you three for being on jj thanks for being on man thank you everybody john thanks for being on man hey thank you guys have a good night and sammy thanks for being on man Thanks, man. And just a kind reminder to our listeners in California to please vote for the Californians for Solutions to Homelessness and Mental Health Support Measure. Yes. Be on the book in November to bring great sports books like our friends at DraftKings online in our state. Thanks. And of course, shout out to our uh, Twitch followers who are watching us live right now. And shout out to our video producer, RJ, who's putting us on. Check out our YouTube channel. Remember to rate, subscribe, and review. Like us on our Facebook group page, The Clinic All MBA Podcast, and follow us on Twitter at Clinic All MBA. I'm Rosa Panza. This is The Clinic All MBA Podcast. Come find us wherever you get your podcasts.